attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Hey, it's Jeff here. What you're about to hear is the recording from our weekly Context and Clarity live show that I co-host with Catherine McPhail. Every week, we bring in a special guest that will help us dig even deeper and find even more clarity around the most popular context and clarity topics. This version of context and clarity is simulcast to Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitch. Oh, and did I mention that they're live? We're operating without a net, so we may hit a few rough patches and stumble every once in a while. But I think these guests and these conversations are important enough that we really shouldn't keep them to ourselves. So with that, let's jump into this week's episode. All right, Entree Architect community, it's 4 p.m. Eastern, which means it's time for Context and Clarity Live. Thank you for joining us today, uh, wherever you are. Inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group, live via LinkedIn, live on the Entree Architect uh, YouTube channel or the Twitch channel. I know there are a lot of you out there on Twitch, so thank you to our gigantic and growing audience over there on Twitch. I see all one of you. (laughs) So thank you for joining us today. Uh, My name is Jeff Eccles. I come here every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern for one reason, so that we can find clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect. And I know since we're spread out across all of the internet right now, some of you may not be architects, and that is awesome. That's okay, because these conversations that we have are not just for architects, and they are not just for leaders. They're not just for owners. They're also for you. If you're an employee, you may have even circled a date on the calendar and said, you know what? 2021 is my year and I'm going to start my own thing this year. Or you may have had a firm for a year or 10 years or 25 years, Catherine, right? Right. All of the topics that we cover, they all fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture. They're all the need to know topics for the success 
of architects just like you. So thank you for joining us today. As you come in, say hi, let us know that you're here and also let us know where here is, where are you joining this conversation from? Uh, if you happen to be listening to this later, right? We're coming to you from the past. You're listening in the future. Uh, this is also Context and Clarity podcast. Uh, all of these live Thursday live versions of Context and Clarity get recorded in a podcast version. So all of you that are out there on the podcast, welcome. Thanks for listening in. I'm looking forward to this conversation and I want to introduce you to my co-host, Catherine McPhail. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Jeff. All right. <laughs> Thank you for not asking me how I am. I appreciate that. I asked him not to. It's yeah. my pleasure. Yeah. The reason Catherine says that is because all week we have been focusing on a theme. We have a theme every week. And this week, the theme is emotional intelligence. And uh, we started out Monday of this week asking the question, how do we get to know our clients better? We talked about empathy, basically. On Tuesday, we revisited a topic that um, was actually the topic for context and clarity going all the way back to April 13th of 2020. We've been running context and clarity since April 6th of 2020. We're almost to the point of, of uh, one year. And back on April 13th, we talked about the fact that we transitioned through phases during crisis. And we asked the question on Tuesday, how are you? How are you as an individual? How are you weathering the storm? Because we're a year into this right now. And then yesterday, uh, we asked the question, how do we get to know ourselves better? We're talking about emotional intelligence this week. It's not an easy topic. It takes some vulnerability. It takes some soul searching. And, you know, it, there have been times where the conversations have been a little bit touchy. They've been a little bit tough. And so... Um, it's interesting to me that we're, we're covering this topic this week. You know, it may seem strange, right? Hey, Jeff, you said all of these topics fit under the umbrella of the business of architecture. This is kind of squishy, right? It's kind of the soft side of business. But I think that's one of the reasons that we need to have these conversations this week and beyond. You know, honestly, it's not just for this week. Um, let's think about the importance of emotional intelligence in our businesses. Um, it's an important topic for all of us. We've got someone in the green room right now. It's someone that you probably feel like you know pretty well already. Do you feel like you know this person, Catherine? Oh, let's just say I thought I did, but I think I'm going to get to know him better today. Mm, excellent. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Um, I think a lot of people feel like they know him already because he's been speaking into their earbuds for 359 episodes now. So he's, he's obviously, there's a lot of hours. So right. he's obviously a podcaster and right. you may see him on video sometimes on YouTube or on LinkedIn. Uh, he's also a founder. He's an architect. I don't know if he's tried to trademark it yet, but he may as well, I guess at this point, uh, but he's become synonymous with the term, the business of architecture. He's all about helping architects structure their firms for success. So let me introduce to you and welcome Enoch Sears. Welcome to Context and Clarity Live. Wow. This is fantastic. <laughs> the bright lights and everything. I'm so excited. <laughs> Isn't it nice? <laughs> That's just fantastic. <laughs> welcome Thank to the magic. Welcome. Good to be Thanks. here. 
thank you for coming here to uh, have this conversation today. Um, let me start with, I think that most of the time when we think about the business of architecture, right, you've, you've, you have built an entire business, an entire career, basically, at this point, um, nine years now, right, that you've been doing business of architecture. Math, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. I, it's a good thing. It didn't go beyond this number of fingers. Um, I think most of the time when we think about the business of architecture, we think about systems and procedures, uh, maybe AutoCAD and our favorite BIM software or something like that. But why are we going to talk about emotional intelligence today? Is that a question for me, Jeff? That is a question for you, Enoch. Okay. It's a good question. Why are we going to talk about emotional intelligence today? Well, first of all, do you mind? I would just like to thank the entire Entree Architect community. I want to thank Catherine. I want to thank Jeff for the opportunity to be here. It's good to be talking to both of you. Good to see so many people that I know uh, commenting here. Uh, Kurt, I see David LeCicero. Good to hailing. Good to see David Benita. Just Scott. Uh, if you put your name in there, we can actually see your name. That would be fantastic. Like if you say, you know, hi, this is so-and-so, we can see it. Yep. So great. Yep. I appreciate that. So the question is why, right? I'll just cut to the chase. <laughs> Over nine years ago, the reason why I started Business of Architecture wasn't because I was an expert in business or it wasn't because I was a whiz-bing business person, right? It was quite the opposite. The reason why I started Business of Architecture is because I realized that that was a huge gap in my life. And not only that, I realized it was a gap that I knew nothing about. One, one time when I was younger, when I was younger, I heard someone who was, who was more experienced in life tell me that the older that he got, the more he discovered what he didn't know. Mm. Right. So as a teenager, he knew everything. In college, he realized there were some things he didn't know. When he was in his golden years, he realized that he didn't really know anything. Yep. And so I, it feels like that light bulb went off for me on business right around the Great Recession, right? So that's the math that Jeff did. That's right around when I started this journey of mine, business of architecture, was because I had um, I had a great job, my dream job. I was working down on a Caribbean island, lost my job. Um, but before that time, I had gotten to see, because of the company and the experience I was working with, I had gotten to see successful businessmen at work. And when I say men, I mean women's included, but you know, su successful business people doing their thing, yeah. right? And and I suddenly realized, I said, you know what? I was scratching my head. I was like, why? Oh, why am I why am I stretching so hard to earn forty thousand dollars a year? Now, this is in that in that job I had. It was better than that. But I was thinking, you know, why why did I why did I start at thirty thousand dollars a year and scrape and fight and claw to be able to you know, eat beans and rice with my wife and my young family. And, um, you know, our clients are pulling up in the latest, you know, BMW supercar. I was like, now no one, I didn't get into architecture because I was, no, I was going to be rich. Right. You know, no one, no one told me that as a matter of fact, they, like they probably told you too, it was probably the opposite, <laughs> right? You don't get rich being an architect. Right. But what I realized, I realized there's a gap in my knowledge of, well, there's something about finances. There's something about actually making money because I knew how to be a good architect. I knew how to you know, process change orders, talk to contractors, design, do everything, get things through permit. Like that was fine. Spent years and years doing that. But for me, Jeff, and it's funny because you say we think of business of architecture as a collection of systems, as a collection of, 
of, you know, in-counting and invoicing. And I think those are the things that used to come up for me. Um, and that's an accurate statement, exactly what you said. That's kind of how we perceive the business right. of architecture to be. And so that's what I thought it was, right? Um, but since that time, what I've understood is that, you know what, it, it's a discipline just like anything else. So business, obviously people go to MBA school for a reason, right? And uh, Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins says that, you know, success, success is 20% science, 80% psychology, right? So, you know, that plays a large part in business because in business, we look at things like what's important in business, right? If you were asked me what the two roles of a CEO are, go ahead, let's ask our audience. What would be if you had to, and when I say CEO, I use that term not to say that that we're going to be these high and mighty CEOs and commanding people to do what we want. It's not, not that kind of CEO, but I mean, as the owner of your business, where the buck stops here, now whether you're an owner or you're not, or you're an employee, what would you say would be the two most important roles of the leader of the business? Now, I don't know. There's probably a delay in the broadcast, right? Am I going to be able to get some answers here, Jeff? And A little bit, yeah. So so everybody that's out there in the audience, um, I mean, you know the drill. Most of you that uh, have been with us for, for uh, Context and Clarity before, um, just go ahead and put in the uh, in the comments, wherever you are, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitch, um, just put into the comments right now, what do you think are the two roles of the business leader, if we say it that way, the CEO, the president, if you're a sole proprietor. Um, you know, we talked about this last week. Our theme last week was firm culture. And we talked about the fact that firm culture is not just for firms that have employees. Sole proprietors also have a culture. So even if that is your your context, what's your role as the leader of the business? And so there we've got an answer from somebody that Brian gets an A plus and they Brian get a Penchow, move to the front, AIA. The front of the Who was that, Catherine? That was Brian Penchow, AIA, who said, set the direction. Brian. <laughs> well done. Well done. I don't know how many other answers we're going to get, but I'll read that out. So I would put a little spin on it. But Brian says, set the direction and support the team. Yeah. And that's exactly right. Right. So uh, at the, at the, if we strip away everything, you know, from the CEO role, the two most important things would be to set the vision of the company, set the direction, and to what I call, or what Gary Keller calls actually, succeed through other people. Mm. So there's this, this idea of succeeding through other people. Now, if you're, if you're a sole practitioner, I mean, you got to succeed through yourself. So sure. in a weird way, you're almost, you're all, you could still be succeeding through others, right? So, but if you have employees, you need to succeed through those people. So back in, let's go back when, when I, when I was laid off from my position, um, because of the great recession, I mean, it was, and that was not fun to put it lightly. I mean, that was really painful. It was really painful. It was, it was terrifying. It was scary. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen. I had a young family, three children at the time who were all very, very young. And uh, I was still young at the time. So you can exclude, hopefully those of you who've been around, you can excuse my naivete for thinking, thinking that I had it made when I went to a decent architecture school and then I got a decent architecture job and a career. And I was thinking, you know what, this is great. I've done everything they taught me to do or that I thought society had told me to do to, to be protected, to be secure, to be able to provide. And so suddenly uh, here I was, I was going to be without a job. And I was just like, what, what did I do wrong here? Like, where did I miss the bus? Where, where did I, did I make the wrong decision, the wrong choice? And it was really hard for me to come to face with that. And I, I just understood suddenly I realized there was something missing 
in my in my life formula. I'm like, okay, I made some choices, but my life is not matching my expectations. So if my life doesn't match my expectations, that must mean that I've got to start doing something differently. And when I say it was painful, I mean, I, I went back and I was working for the, the firm that I've worked in in Houston for a little bit. Uh, I moved out to California because I decided it was a great time to start my own thing, right? Brilliant idea, right? Greatest recession ever. Let's go start our own thing. So I moved to another city back home to where I was, grew up in California. Didn't really have any contacts, no professional contacts. No one knew who I was. And it was I mean, I was struggling to make ends meet. It was not fun at all. I was, but I learned a lot. You know, I was, I was literally throwing, so I was throwing newspapers. I would get up at one o'clock in the morning. I would throw newspapers and mm. I would, from that, I would then, um, you know, I would then go to, so I got a substitute teaching job, right? So wow, really? I don't know what, those of you who know like, Fred, what's that, Catherine? I'm what, just about trying to imagine that. Are you elementary school? I'm just trying to picture it. Or like yeah, so I would do, it would, It was all ages, right? And I, I'm from a town in Central California near Fresno. I see that we had mm-hmm. someone from Stockton here, uh, Tim, I think. Yep, and um, so any of you who've ever been through Fresno, heard of Fresno, you can know that there's some parts of Fresno that are some rough neighborhoods. Okay. So yeah, I, I did everything. It was uh, elementary school, middle age. Middle age was my, my favorite kind of um, my age group, maybe getting off on a tangent here. But the fact was, is I was getting up at 1am in the morning, I was going in, uh, throwing the newspapers to make some money. And then I would go and I would do a substitute teaching job. And there was a part of me too, that like, didn't want to go accept a job at an architecture firm. Like probably if I hustled, I could have find something, but I was like, no, I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to do what it takes to, to make this work and, you know, kind of get out of the, the, what I thought was the rat race at the time. Right. Um, so that, that was tough, tough. You know, I never want to go back to that. Sometimes I still wake up in a cold sweat thinking that I'm having to get up at like two o'clock in the morning or one o'clock AM to go and fold newspapers. Mm. I hate so, that smell of newspapers. Have you ever, happen. that's the smell of newspapers. Oh, yeah. Does that remind you of that? <laughs> it does. Yeah. I don't they smell, know. They smell a certain way. Anyway, sorry. I won't interrupt again. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just relating. Smell? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But when I was, when I was, we would go to this big, large warehouse. And you would get your papers and you'd go to these lawn desks and there was like, you, there you'd be about four four feet away from another person. And it's freezing cold in there. Even in California, I say freezing, but for Californians, you know, it was like 56, 59. That's freezing for, for me anyways. <laughs> Just laughing is like, oh, please, please, you weakling. It's a wonder you died. natural selection hasn't made you fall off the earth, right? <laughs> that is a little cold for, for folding newspapers. I'll agree. Yeah. You know, my fingers would get cold. And so the, the end of the story here is it, it wasn't fun. And, right. um, and, and it was very painful. And I, I was just kept on wondering, how did I get here? Right. How could I, how could I go to a great university? How could I have what I thought was a good job? And it was while it lasted um, and then end up unemployed. Right. And so I figured out, you know what, there's some keys to life and success in business that I didn't understand. And so that's why the business of architecture started. So going back to um, your question, there's a very long answer. Jeff, to your question, no worries. But why are we talking about emotional intelligence? Uh, well, when we chatted last week, you said, what do you want to talk about? <clears throat> I couldn't really think of anything, but I thought, you know what? I always like sharing the things that are relevant for me. And right now, <clears throat> an area in which I'm growing is in this idea of emotional intelligence. Okay. Because from the very first, when I first started business of architecture and I talked to Every successful firm owner I could talk to, interview them, started the podcast, talked to every consultant, read every book on the subject. You know, what I found what was really interesting is that a lot of the very, very successful, what I'd term successful architects, now that's a loaded term. I realize we all define success in our own way, but people who are making incredible income, 
people who are working on exciting projects and seem to have a decent amount of flexibility and freedom in their life, they seem to have this X factor. And what was really interesting is most of them, when I asked them how they got where they were at, they couldn't really put their finger on it. They didn't really know. Interesting. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to actually tell it back to me Mm -hmm. in in a way that I can understand. And this really confused me for a long time. I'm like, this is really weird. How could these people not be able to tell me here's the formula of success? I mean, they would tell me, well, I just did work over, I did, I did great work for a long time and, you know, projects came and that's kind of the story they would tell me. I was like, well, I know a lot of architects that have done great work over an even longer time and they don't, they haven't achieved half of what you've achieved. So there's gotta be something else, right? And what it, what it comes down to, one of the major things would be this idea of soft skills. So it comes down to emotional intelligence. It comes down to them being able to relate to people, to understand them, to talk to them. Um, I looked up the definition here of emotional intelligence because I don't know the definition. I would, the official definition. It is the capacity to be aware of, control, and express one's emotions. So that's one side. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but that's like our own internal, the way we deal with our own emotions. And to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. Mm -hmm. Right? So going back to, to your question, to me, it's very relevant to the business of architecture because you can have all the science, you can have all the spreadsheets, all the tools, all the project managing management tracking stuff, everything that is like on the scientific side of the business of architecture and to understand how to figure out what your billing rate is and everything like that. But if you don't have emotional intelligence, it's going to be tough. And I'm not saying all leaders do, some don't, but that's a real hard slog to be mm-hmm. able to build a team and to be able to do that without understanding the emotional conversation. So the reason I brought it up, Jeff, when you asked me last week, and I mentioned this is because me and my wife are going to counseling right now, right? So we, and we started, we started about four months ago. And it's something I've always intrigued me. I always, I'm always wanting to get coaching from mentors outside. So I invest in business coaches. Um, I take online courses. So for me, it was natural. I didn't have like a huge stigma, like I'm a failure as a husband because I need to be counseling. So that was fortunate because I know for, that can be tough. You know, right. but my wife and I, we, we had a relationship that, that, it, that worked at a certain level. I mean, you don't, you don't have six kids and be married for 17 years without it working at a certain level, but there was a whole nother level where it absolutely wasn't working. And it was, it was for me, I would say it was a lack of connection. It was feeling like, like I didn't, I didn't, there was something missing. Like I didn't quite love my lo- wife. Like I wanted to, I mean, I tried, you know, and when I say didn't love her, that's probably the wrong word. Cause I did, but but there was just something missing, you know, and it showed up in the way my, I interacted with her. Um, and, and, and so it took me studying with this mentor now who we're, we're meeting with for our therapy to help me understand and open up a whole new world of what it means to understand the emotional conversation that human beings have with each other. So just like I didn't understand what business was back in 2010, like I, I knew the definition of it, but I didn't really get it. Um, you know, I would say up until pretty recently, my, my view of the emotional context of life and of people was limited and it caused me to struggle. And so yeah. that, Jeff, is why I brought up emotional intelligence because I'm dealing with it now. I've been horrible at it in the past. Um, and so I'm kind of passionate about improving myself in that area. Yeah. Well, so thank you for sharing that. First of all, I mean, that's that's very open and vulnerable. I appreciate that. Um, you know, your willingness to share that. And I think it opens up a really good question. We've 
like you heard me say in the introduction, we've had this theme going for the entire week of emotional intelligence, different aspects, different facets of emotional intelligence every day. And one of the things that's come up a number of times, uh, a question, I guess, that's come up is, can we improve our emotional intelligence? Is it, you know, is it like a muscle that we can exercise and build? And it sounds to me from what you're describing in, in the, the uh, counseling scenario and in and, and others that we can perhaps learn more and improve our level of emotional intelligence. Is that right? That's, that is a great question, Jeff. You, you've been doing this while I can tell it. That's a fantastic question. You always ask great questions. Hmm. And it was a question that I had when I was, when I was a kid, because I grew up with two parents who loved me deeply, but they had difficulty expressing it to me. So I kind of was raised in a situation where I didn't, I didn't feel connected and loved, right? And my dad had some, bless his heart, but he had some failings and some qualities that I kind of looked down on when I was a kid. And so I used to ask myself the same question, Jeff, because I look at my dad and I would say, can't my dad change? Is it possible for a human being to really change at the core and and learn things like like emotional intelligence and really yeah. just just kind of become a different person? And as I thought about this as a kid, I was like, well, if that's not true, that's very depressing, it's a trap. Yeah, I was like that that's very depressing. I don't want to I don't want to believe that. So from a very young age, I've I've held fiercely to the idea that that we can that we can change anything in our life. And um I believe sure. it's been it's been fortunately it's been proven by modern neuroscience where they have this whole theory of and there's research on it now about the neuroplasticity of the brain. Is what they call now it's true that usually our brain pathways are set at the a very young age, 3 to 5 years old, even younger. But they've discovered that there are ways, and so those kind of like put the pathways in there, but they've discovered that there are ways to change them. And so in my discovery with emotional intelligence, I don't know what our people think, or I'd love to hear their their experience if they've been able to, to grow that. But I've seen just from meeting with our with our with the mentor we're working with, I've had huge, huge jumps. My wife will tell you, should I bring her in? <laughs> sure. Is she there? No, like yeah, her. sure. Um, <laughs> She's out right so- now. So Mark wants to know if there's an assessment tool that <clears throat> we can use to get an EQ score or something like that. I went to the Psychology Today test, and that's where I did mine. I think it's about a 45-minute test, and then I bought the report that goes with it, which, as I mentioned, breaks breaks it down into five uh, categories and gives a score at each. So, I mean, it's pretty interesting. So, uh, Mark, that's where I went. I mean, I don't know if Psychology Today is, the, is a good source for it. I also posted in the... Facebook group, a link to University of Toronto had a study about what tests, how do you test it, which tests are valid and all that other stuff. So there's a lot of conversation around it. But did you take a test, Enoch? The only test I've taken is when I get in a conflict with my wife and I'm completely flummoxed as to why things aren't going well. That's my test and I failed it. (laughs) So I have taken some online assessments and some things like that, but I've never found anything to be, you know, super useful or super telling. Mostly it's my own experience of being able to be introspective and see what's happening. Mm. That, well, you know, that introspective piece of it, of course, is at the heart of, of emotional intelligence, right? It's, uh, yesterday when we were talking, um, Liz, and I, I apologize. I don't know if Liz has, uh, is with us right now. I haven't necessarily noticed her name going by. Okay. She was talking yesterday about, um, 
she has a uh, NVC, non-violent communication coach. And um, so she was, one of the concepts that she shared with us yesterday was this idea of the pause, which I thought was was really intriguing because, uh, you know, my own story, we, our kids are, we have two, uh, they're both teenagers now. And, um, you know, for me, there's a lot of, oh my gosh, I just sounded like my dad or... You know, I remember when my parents did this and I hated that or so, you know, I try to be, I try to be conscious of that, right? And, and not necessarily fall back into the pattern that I learned from my parents. Not that that was a terrible thing, but, but, um, you know, just be present in the moment and, and, and deal with the situation. And, you know, let's be honest, it's been, it's been 40 some years since I was, um, or slightly less than that, 40 some years since I was their age, you know, and so things have changed a little bit. So how do I be the best parent in that situation? And when Liz talked about the pause, I thought, you know, that is an intriguing concept because, um, you know, maybe my son comes home and he's late or he says something and something happened or whatever. And I, I have an emotional response, you know, there's something going I want to say this right now, or I want to, you know, have this reaction. Is that the appropriate reaction? Is that the reaction that's going to set him off, right? Um, or is that the reaction that's going to lead us in in any direction of progress whatsoever? Um, and so I really appreciated that idea of the pause, like, oh, Okay, I don't know how to get there. I mean, I so we should make it clear that if you're watching this, there's three of us on the screen, and not a single one of us is a neuroscientist or a, a quote unquote expert about this topic that we're talking about. But um, you know, so I don't know how you get to the pause, but it is it's something that I want to explore because I maybe it's I count to five or something before I respond to. Uh, whatever someone has said, something like that. I don't know, you know, how it works, but I think it's an incredible concept. So Enoch, are you saying that you realized that your issues with your wife had to do with emotional intelligence and that it wasn't as strong as you, as it could be for you? Is that what you, is that what you're basically saying? I'll give you, give you some examples. So there, there's this there's this great this great video you guys can google it where it's like it's 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 a funny spoof i don't know if i should bring this up here i could take some flacks for this <laughs> okay I no i think you definitely should now i think that means you should it's hilarious i think if you google nail in the head okay in the head, have either of you seen that one no okay. i don't know yet i i forget <clears throat> So I know the audience is Googling it. It may not work, but there's this great video on YouTube where it's it's a couple and 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 the man is talking to the woman. Well, the woman starts out, she's sharing her experience with him. She's saying, look, and, and it's something that she's dealing with that's difficult, right? And she's like, you know, it's really painful and it really hurts. And I kind of have this, it's just a pain right here in my head. I don't understand what it is. And, he, and, and then you look and it zooms out and you can see she has a nail poking out of her forehead. <laughs> kind of the funny part is he's like, well, you know, there's a nail on your forehead. And she looks at him. She says, I don't care. It's not about the nail. You're not listening to me. What I'm saying, 
You know, so he's trying to fix it. He's saying, all you got to do is pull that nail out of your forehead and you'll be fine. And she's saying, I don't, I don't want to pull. It's not about the nail. It's just listen to me and help me show me that you understand what I'm going through. Right. Now, of course, this is place you got to watch it. When I say it back, it's probably not that funny. But if you watch it and you've been at this experience, you know what that's like, right? Well, so it can go both directions. It can go from man to woman, woman to man. But a lot of times when we're experiencing something emotional like that pain or, or sadness or anger, uh, we may not be expressing it correctly, but a lot of times other people want to fix it, right? That's what we want to do. That's what I want to do. So to give you an example, my wife would come to me with, you know, our daughter Rivka did this and I'm so frustrated with her and she just won't do this and that and the other. And I was like, well, have you tried doing this? You both have been in relationships. How do you think that went across? <laughs> that did not go very well, Enoch. <laughs> it only took me 15 years to figure out that that wasn't the right approach. You know, so I started saying, well, you know, what are you doing in this situation, Carly, to, to make Rivka act like this? That was not the good thing to say. No, right. So those are the kind of situations that we'd have, you know, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's everyone, you know, it, it wasn't nothing crazy. We're not both yellers, but it was more, it was more passive. And it just, you know, when you have that relationship when my wife's not feeling like I'm understanding what she's saying, that feels mm-hmm. very lonely, mm-hmm. you know? And what I didn't realize is I was, I was lonely too. This may sound very strange if you're listening to a podcast, but I, at a very deep level, I realized that I was a lonely human being because the way that I'd learn to be able to handle difficult emotions was to try to pretend like they weren't there and to try to be more of the non-emotional type, shall we say. Right. Mm -hmm. Or the strong one. Yeah, the strong one, right? And so, you know, if you ask people I've worked with in the past, they say, oh, Enoch, he never gets ruffled. Enoch is like the calmest guy. Wow. Nothing phases him. But when he does get ticked off, he blows up like, and it doesn't happen very often, but when he does lose it, it's like, it's big. You know, you probably know people like that. And the reason why is because I was just, you know, kind of suppressing it. I didn't know how to deal with the emotions. I was running away from it. And um, it was, it was, it was unhealthy. But when I, when I wasn't in touch and dealing with my own emotions, I had no access to, no ability to be able to understand my wife or figure out what was happening with her. And so she didn't feel any connection to me because she didn't feel like I got her. You know, she just thought like I was there to issue solutions to her. And that was, it was, it just caused a lack of connection. So, yeah. so that's why I brought it up. And that's what, you know, eventually it became to the point where I was like, well, we need some help because we've been working at this for 17 years and this keeps on coming up. And so yep. that's what got into it, you know? And, and there's different kinds of therapists and they do different things. The one I'm, the one we're meeting with is it's called emotionally focused therapy. And it's really cool because he brings you in and, and it's, you know, practice makes perfect. So it's basically going back to your question, Jeff, what I've discovered is that it's basically you're practicing that emotional intelligence in a safe environment, right? Mm-hmm. And so what he'll do is he'll have you bring up maybe conflicts or things that happened. And we have at least plenty to draw from, <laughs> right? And plenty of these conflicts we can talk with him about. And then we'll rehash that. And then of course that will bring up emotions. And then he helps us, he helps us see the emotions behind what we're saying, right? And so in that safe environment, he helps us understand the other person's context for what they're feeling and then being able to empathize with them. Now, I'm I'm not great at it. I'm a lot better than I was four months ago and definitely uh, 20 years ago. Um, so that's, yeah. Well, so- I think it's kind of interesting, Jeff, that you keep talking about this being a, uh, a squishy subject, 
right? Which kind of makes it sound like it's not one we should be talking about or that it's more like a female thing and we have to be like strong and stoic and businesslike, right? Is that, and then which would mean not being emotional. Is that, well, is that kind of I, what you mean? No, I, I'm referring to it as squishy, number one, because I like the word, uh, but I'm not trying it to. It is a great word. No, it's a good word. Yeah, no, it's, um, I apologize. I don't remember who said it before, but it's the soft side, you know, the soft skills, uh, you know, as are commonly, you know, as is commonly called the soft skills. So, um, you know, just the contrast with, you know, is it spreadsheets and BIM software? No. But I think, you know, what's, and Enoch alluded to this a minute ago, um, you know, the importance of emotional intelligence in, in, if I were to pull every single person in the audience right now, every single architect I've ever talked to in my career, 99.99999%, probably more would say that, um, architecture or any professional services profession for that matter is a relationship based business. And so how can we possibly be the best that we can be at our craft, at dealing with clients, serving our clients, any of these things? You know, Enoch has, has talked about he his relationship with his wife. So that's a relationship. But, I, you know, as you're describing that, Enoch, I'm going, that's completely applicable. You know, even the example um, with your daughter right? I can totally see that conversation. Just change the names, change the roles. That's a conversation between a leader and an emerging professional in an office. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't mean to offend using the term squishy. I just like the word. No, I was just but, wondering, I just, no, I was just wondering what you meant by that, whether it's something we should be talking about or not should, or should not. No, be I think, you know, I, I think, and this is why I love it when I see people in the list here that are not architects, because uh, even though our audience is mainly our architects, I mean, that's, it's entree architect and we've got the business of architecture here and all of that. But this is a conversation that needs to happen in any, any business setting. Um, you know, I think one of the things that um, and I think I, I, there's a couple, I know we need to take some questions from the audience as well. So I apologize for kind of going off on a tangent, but, um, especially in the context of the last 12 months in the United States, you know, that that's from the United States perspective, it's been about 12 months since things shut down. If you're in the UK or somewhere else in the world, it's been longer. So how do, how does emotional intelligence play into the, oh, well, wow, what's going on around us? It's similar to your, your, your story about the great re recession and being laid off, right? There's people losing their jobs. There's firms saying, well, there's no way we can go remote. And then two weeks later, they're necessarily remote. You know, how do I manage people when I can't see them in their seat all day, every day? Um, you know, that's a context that I think it's really important to talk about this topic in. And then also, you know, we're online right now. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. What do we do when there's that little bit of disconnect, 
right? And, and it, it may happen in the comments here. That That's tough. Yeah. Jeff, that's, that's a great point. I'm dealing with this right now with my team is like when so much is virtual, because a lot of EQ, right? If you're typing through Slack, you have no context for what that other yeah. person's thinking or feeling. You don't know how your message is going to come across. That is going to be a challenge mm-hmm. in the future as we focus. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Yeah, I, I, that those are some of the things that intrigue me about it, and um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear that there are things that we can do to uh, improve our EQ mm. you know, to to get yeah. better th- through the practice of it. Yeah. Well, it seems like knowing it's, yourself it's, hopefully it gives people hope, right? Hopefully, it gives you hope. Go ahead, Catherine. Yeah, I was going to say, if you know yourself, then you know what your strengths and weaknesses might be, in, in terms of not putting yourself into the position where you're the one dealing with clients or difficult clients, because maybe if you're not that great at it, it's good to know you're not, you know, you're not that, it seems pretty obvious, but if it turns out you're not the best, how does that hurt your business? I mean, it would, and ha- but in the meantime, you have to improve yourself. So there I don't you know. Go. There you go. Here, Mark, that goes uh, back to kind of where we started, right, Catherine, which mm-hmm. is, you know, how does this deal with the business of architecture? If we can't deal with people, it's going to show up in our business. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. Yep. And and it's normal. I mean, it's it, it it not every there's no school that I've been to that teaches you really how to deal with people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um and, and so it's it's sort of like, you know, if you if you find that you don't and something always seems to go wrong, there might be a gap there. You know, check it out right. and you can improve it. But you gotta be aware of first of all, you gotta not cast the blame at other people, right? You're not gonna say, Man, it's just all these all these damn employees. <laughs> You know, man, they just can't get anything done on time and I have to yell at them all the time or I don't want to yell. So I just, I'm quiet and, and, and I just get frustrated and my goodness, how come it wasn't like it was back in the day? Now, sure. There's some of that's very valid and very true. Right. But other parts of it is, you know what? You look at Art Gensler, the one thing that impressed me when I talked to him, cause I was trying to think, okay, what allowed Art Gensler to be able to start and grow the biggest professional services architecture firm in the world. Right. And when I talked to him, it was very, very clear that he loves people. That's it. He loves people. He said, I never set out to create a large architecture firm. He said, what happened was as people grew in my organization, I wanted to give them opportunities. So I said, hey, you want to go out to Denver and start a practice out there? We have a project in Florida. Do you want to go start up the Florida office? And so him growing the firm was a result of him really caring about people. That's Mm. interesting. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question on the screen there from Mark. Can uh, high IQ improve our business? or sorry, high EQ, emotional quotient, can that improve our business? What do you think? No, no, no. No? Just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I was going to guess yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say yes to that. Let me give you the quick example. So one of my mentors, the mentor who had to lay me off when I was in Texas, Blair Korndorfer, he was one of the most highly... He had some of the highest EQ that I've ever seen in a person. He was a fantastic, he could, he could just amazing. Give me an example, right? So we'd go into a job meeting with an angry client, an angry contractor because of maybe something that we left on the drawings, off on the drawings. I think in this case, it was something that I screwed up on the drawings. So I was feeling extra nervous because I'm like, oh, great. I've cost the firm money. What's going to, Hazel, don't worry about it. Let's go into the meeting. You know, the contractor's mad. It's going to cost more. Every, 
who hasn't been in one of those meetings? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No hands going up, right? No so hands I'm going like, up. okay, this is going to be interesting. So we go in there for 30 minutes, 30 minutes. We walk out, they're smiling, they're, they're shaking hands. They're saying, that sounds fantastic. You know, he was just able to navigate that very difficult situation and come up with a win-win that everyone was totally excited about and happy with. And I walked out of that thinking like, there was some magic there that I did not even realize what just happened. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow. Mm -hmm. So good question, Mark. Can high EQ improve our businesses? Well, in those instances, you know, man, it sure helped out in that particular instance. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So did you have a specific takeaway from that meeting? What did you learn in that meeting other than you know holy cow? No, you know, it's funny you ask that, Jeff, because at that time where I was in my life, I knew he knew how to work with people. Like that was much mm -hmm. was obvious. But what right. he actually did and how he did it, like really what really happened there in terms of this person was feeling this. So Blair responded this way. And then, you know, kind of like seeing that dynamic that was, that was invisible to me because I lacked the EQ. So I, I don't know other than, man, I want to be like that. That was kind of my takeaway. There's yeah. so many funny comments here. Facebook user says on Slack, adding emojis makes all the difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That explains it all. Well, but that, I would say to that, both parties have to add the emojis, don't they? If you, right. if you truly if want they to don't add, then you're wondering what happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about emojis. Do you two use emojis? I professionally, I don't do it. I don't. You guys are shaking your head. No, I have to admit that I do. I'm sort of the generation. So I grew up on, uh, I mean, it's not an age thing, but when I grew up, I was, I was frequenting the bulletin board. So I grew up like with the green screen texting and being in chat rooms and stuff. So I try not to, but I, I end up using a lot. A question, do you look down on people that do use emojis in a, in a professional context? That's yeah, I do. I'm judgmental of people who, it depends on the emojis. I mean, there's some I really, really hate and that, that's over for me, that relationship, if they use it <laughs> in, on the inside. <laughs> See, my, my fear, the reason that I don't use them is because most of them, I don't understand them. I don't know what they mean. And I'm so afraid that it's going to end my relationship with Catherine that uh, I just be, I don't use be. them. It would. It would, Jeff. I mean, I use a lot of hearts. I use fiddles. I'll use hearts and fiddles and a thumbs up. <laughs> nice. And that's, nice. that's that. it. Great. Those are all but, very you know, safe. Like, the whole thing about the crying ones, the crying emojis, apparently you're too old if you don't know what it is. So I just avoid any crying emoji, whether they're crying laugh. Who even knows? It's a lot. Yeah. Emojis See, are I'm, too much. Yeah. I'm old enough to now have the first round of the uh, COVID vaccine. So I guess I'm too old to understand the crying emojis. <laughs> just don't go. Just don't go in there. So um, someone did want to know, Enoch, this is completely off topic, but do you still practice architecture? I try not to. I hear you. I try not to. I mean, look, I leave the architecture to you guys, you folks. That's what I do. I help you do the architecture so you can create amazing world, amazing environments, and I don't have to do it. I can focus on everything else, helping you succeed through architecture. So good question. And I'm not sure. You must have had a reason for asking that. I'd love to know why you asked that. I don't know why you asked that. He's an architect, um, maybe? Yeah, well, possibly, but why would they ask it even if they're an architect, right? I mean, there's curiosity. Know, there could be, yeah, could be just wondering. Yeah, I, one of the things that I appreciate about your story is, at, at the very beginning, you basically talked about an exploration, right? Here's this thing that I don't know about, right? The business of architecture, and so you started this exploration to learn more, and I think it's a great 
metaphor, if that's even the right word for this whole conversation that we're having today, how are we going to learn about emotional intelligence unless we explore, right? Unless we explore our own emotions and explore the other person's uh, emotions. So I think uh, I really appreciate that, you know, that, that theme in the, in the conversation today. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What else do we have from the audience? There you go. Well, my question is, is there a difference between emotional intelligence and maturity? And that was um, Tim Hill asked that question. Okay. Well, I, I'm not exactly an expert on emotional intelligence uh, other than I've not been very good at it. So I can see when I don't have it and I can see when I'm improving at it. Right. So I'm not sure how to answer that. Um, I could just tell you what I think. I mean, when I think of emotional maturity, I think of someone that can express their emotions in a way that's constructive and positive. And when I think of intelligence, I think of being able to interpret not only what's happening internally with your emotions, but also what might be happening for another person. So it goes back to me. This is my novice. Going back to the definition I read earlier, there was sort of an internal component and an external. Anyways, that that's what I hear. But that's a great question. That really is a good question. Okay. Yeah. Catherine, I want to selfishly, I want to take Brian's question right there that can EQ influence brand? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I got it. Um, Brian, my man. We all know and love Brian, huh? Yep. Any thoughts on this one, Enoch? I love this question. This would come from someone who's in the marketing slash web design messaging world. So (laughs) Brian, Brian McCartney asks, can EQ influence brand? What comes to mind is a number of VRBO commercials that I've been seeing recently on YouTube. You guys seen those ones? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I hate them. Yeah, so Catherine hates them. Why do you hate them? This is where grandpa and grandson that one yeah, where they're why, talking why about the stuff that, I don't like the guy's voice I feel like he's kind of condescending and kind of just makes my hair stand up so I I just feel like I don't know I can't explain exactly why I don't like it but it, it seems a little bit too yeah. smarmy for me yeah what what do you Jeff did you get that impression um I don't know that I got exactly that impression but I don't I am not a fan of them I it feels to me um not quite tone deaf, um, I, you know, and obviously I, I think we can understand where they're coming from, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to take this question. Um, you know, not to take it too far off topic, but one of my biggest complaints back in April, May or so of last year was the number of people, architecture firms and others that were pushing out messaging that was completely tone deaf, right? That was as if nothing had ever changed. And what do you mean nothing has ever changed? The entire world has shut down, right? So um, that's that's one of the things that I still feel about some of the brands and their advertising that's out there. And, and you know, the idea of, can EQ influence brand, emotional intelligence influence brand? I think absolutely. Because if you don't understand, just using this time, this last 12 months as an example, if you don't understand where 
your clients or your customers, whatever you call them, where they are, how they're feeling, then you're going, you're going to lose your brand, right? They're, you're going to be tone deaf and you're going to become known as this brand that just doesn't get it. That's, that's my thought on it. That's yeah, maybe well it's because well that, that ad is about people getting together and being in a house and going and renting a house as a group, which I'm not able to do. Maybe that's just why I don't like it. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting because what, what we got from you was, I mean, both what, what you both talked about was an emotional response, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's normal because that's what we do. And that's what good advertising, that's what good branding, everything that's effective generates some sort of emotional response, right? Yep. And the best messages are often controversial and they're often polarizing, mm-hmm. meaning that some people love it, others hate it. And it's all an emotional sure. response. So, I mean, Brian's right on in asking the question because it's going to create an emotional response. And the better you are at understanding what emotional response that it's going to create, the more effective mm. it's going to be. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. That right. is, that's true. All right. Well, thank you for that question, Brian. <laughs> I don't understand this, that com- that's, couple comments. That's a but follow I guess- up. Yeah, that's a follow-up to the other one. Do we have time for another question? What do you think? It's actually almost five o'clock. You okay on time, Enoch, or do you have to kick me off? I have have time for... (laughs) I will put you on the spot how many you have, okay? How much time? Two two more questions. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's see. Here's one. It does... How much does parenting help in learning about emotional intelligence? What do you think? Do you have... Between us, I think we have uh, five, 11 kids. So, yeah, yeah. That's a really good question. I have to think about my answer. So, I would say, all right. So, it sort of goes back to this, 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 um, this book I read once about, about high performing athletes and artists and everything. And they basically said that it's, it's not practice that makes perfect, but they said it's perfect practice that yeah. makes perfect. Mm. Right. And so what they meant by that is that you can do the wrong thing again and again and again. You're not going to get better at it. You're in a closed loop system. You don't have any additional input. There's no feedback loop. You're you're just kind of in a karmic loop, this karmic cul-de-sac that you can't break out of. So my initial response to that question is maybe a little (laughs) bit, but I don't think that just the act of parenting does it because let's face it, how many parents out there, you know, including myself, do things all the time that are completely, you know, not not what we want to do. You know, well, I mean, just look at society, right? I wouldn't say we have a bunch of emotionally adept and well-adjusted human beings walking the planet. Now, there are a lot of them, no doubt about it. I'm not trying to cast this negative doomsday thing, but I would say I would say no. But what I would say is if you get the right, if you're observant and you get the right training and the right outside help, that it can be an amazing laboratory for that. Mm. That's, that's what yeah. I think my parenting experience. I, I think that's... I, I think it adds some perspective, certainly, but I think your analogy and, and karmic cul-de-sac is the quote of the day. Um, nice. That's the term of the day. Um, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I, and I shared this earlier, you know, how do I, how do I, um, and I'm probably more aware of this now because of the age of the kids and, you know, once going off to college this, um, this fall. So how do you, how do you make sure that you can do your best at the parenting thing? Um, it, it's just like, 
practicing to be a leader, uh, get becoming a better leader in your firm or what, you know, whatever it is in your fiddle band. Um, it, it, I don't, I don't think it makes you better at, at EQ. It may give you more practice, but I think, you know, that idea of I could do it wrong all day, every day, and I'll still be wrong tomorrow. That's true. Yeah. Who's this? Oh, from well, Mark. Is this Mark? Uh, he's also, well, anyway. He's everywhere. He wants to know, I thought this is kind of an interesting question. It does require the audience to answer, but um, who in the audience feels they have a high IQ? And if so, why do you feel that way? And I feel like we all think we're above average drivers, right? I mean, but we aren't. Oh. <laughs> what? I know we're not. Me? I mean, it may be a coincidence that all I of us. I, I really are. am. I really am. I really <laughs> well, am. I feel like I really am too. So I don't know. I know. But someone around here is not. Above <laughs> that. That's right. So, someone. But, um, it's not us. It's someone else. It's not yeah, us. Not. Yeah. 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 Go yeah. So, I mean, I'd kind of like to know the audience. I mean, a couple of us took uh, took the tests and we didn't do as well as we thought we would have because, of course, we hadn't been reflecting on it that much. So if you took the test um, and you're willing, put your test result, put the number into the comments so we know. Uh, if, if you're willing, again, I said it at the very beginning, these kinds of conversations take uh, openness and vulnerability sometimes. So if you're not willing, totally get it, totally understand that. Um, if you didn't take it, what do you think? Yes or no? Uh, ha do you have high EQ? Or not. Um, put that. Uh, oh, <laughs> Rod Werner says he's an emotional moron. That's yeah, there's Rod. some honest vulnerability there. There we go. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, well, I had to go to traffic school <laughs> twice in Chicago. That's hard to do in Chicago, Ed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the, 62. See, the thing is, um, someone got a 62. I got an 82, but my lowest score was a 60, you know, so it all averages out. And so there are definitely, I have definite deficits in certain areas that I need to, if I shine a light on it, it's going to get better. If I don't, I'm just going to continue bumbling through my life with these problems, yeah. you yeah. know? So that's the thing. So it's, uh, it's not really, yeah, I someone's emoji intelligence is high enough. Okay. Yeah. That that's a that's a good point though, right? Because it's broke. Is it five categories that the test is broken down into? Yeah, it was five, but then there oh. were about like six other ones that I don't really oh, understand oh. the report. But yeah, there were five yeah. major ones. Yeah, and I had a sixty in one. I had like a ninety-two in another, and then I had mostly low eighties. So it was like I was pretty good at one thing. I can't remember now what it was. I'll have to look again in order to. But you know, it's it's not like we're just eighty-two across the board or sixty-two yeah, across the yeah. board. You know, and I think on that, I think the best, the best real world test is if you look back at your life, do people flock to you, right? So do you find that you have high turnover in your business? Do you find that, um, you know, that, that what, what do you find when you look at your results? I mean, that's probably the best test. True. Yeah. It, you know, I was, I was speaking at an event in, um, I think it was Albany, New York. It's probably been a couple of years now with COVID break in between. And they had asked me to speak on, um, the employer brand. Uh, so your brand as an employer and, and someone in the audience mm -hmm. 
said, um, and unfor- unfortunately, and, and I apologize if, if anybody feels like I'm calling them out, but uh, unfortunately, this is a question, a comment I hear a lot. And many times what's happening is it's, um, it's an older person, um, you know, a firm leader that is intentionally or not making a comment about a younger generation. Okay. I'll set it up that way. And what this person was talking about was, or asking about was basically, Hey, I'm looking for leaders and none of the young people in our firm seem to have any interest at all in becoming the future leaders of this firm. Why is that? And, you know, I'm sorry, but I've got to take a step back and say, why do you think it is that no one wants to lead your firm? Bingo. That's a tough question. Did you actually say that to them? Yeah. Or that was, that was on the stage, right? So you're kind of general mm-hmm. hypothetical question. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. plenty of room for me to run when they. Yeah. I was about to say, I mean, that face to face, those are fighting words. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think, I think that's the thing though, right? It's if, if we've got a firm and I don't remember exactly how large they said their firm was, but you know, you've got a substantial size firm that you're, you're going essentially as they described like person to person to, um, they probably said to the millennials, um, going person to person and saying, Hey, do you want to be a future leader in this firm? And, and they're all saying, no, essentially, don't you have to turn the mirror around? Right. And say, why is it that no one wants to run this firm? You know, is it, is it the fact that I'm missing something in this equation? Um, you know, I'm, and oftentimes I find in that situation that is a leader that um, that is approaching the conversation from a point of ego, right? And I've got this this whole talk on ego versus empathy. Why don't you want to run my firm, right? Not what what would it take for you to want to lead an organization? Not, do you have any interest in developing as a leader? Not what would satisfy you in your career path, but would you like to one day run my firm? And to me, that is just, it's so stereotypical. I think Um, it's a little bit painful to hear that honestly. Yeah, that's unpleasant. Those kind of things are, mm. they're not unpleasant. I mean, guilty as charged. You know, I don't like looking in the mirror anymore than other people do. And when people tell me yeah. my failings and that I'm the problem, I'm going to fight tooth and nail to, to, to say I'm not, you know, yeah, you're going to defend yourself. Oh yeah. 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 I, I think we have an obligation as leaders though. It's, we have got to, um, you know, we, we've got to cast aside some of these, some of these trappings and you know what, it's not about me, right? My, in my opinion, you know, judgment of my success has got to be about other people's success, other people's joy, 
So, sorry, that's I'm off on my own soapbox yeah. for a minute. There. Yeah, it's been, it's right in the conversation, Jeff. That's a that's a great yeah, great example. Yeah, great. We got any more questions or what do we want to go from here? I know Carly had a good one. If we've got time for another one, yeah, I think have you got do. that one, Catherine? If not, um, I can read it. Where is I'm looking? Carly, I can, had... I can just read it. It's right. Um, Carly asked, do you need to be a good, do you need to be good? Sorry, Carly, I'm butchering it here. Do you need to be a good emotional intelligence match for your clients? Oh, that question. I was looking at it. Got it. Do you need to be a good match? It's a good question. I would say, I mean, yep. From my side, no, like it's your job as the professional to be emotionally intelligent and then adapt to however they show up. I mean, if you're, if you're with a client who's emotionally intelligent, this can be fantastic. If, if they're not, you know, well, I mean, then deal with it, you know, but I, I don't, I, I personally wouldn't see that as, as, um, as necessary because the beautiful thing about having someone who's emotionally intelligent is they can adapt very easily to the other person and help that other person feel connected in a way. Yeah. And I think that's, and, you know, we're looking, we were talking about this before, right? There's no context to, to reading a question. So I don't know what kind of nuances um, were inferred in, in that. Um, that's a very empathetic response yeah. <laughs> in, in that question. But, but um, one of the things that it reminds me of, and this has come up several times this week as we've tackled different versions of this topic is, you know, what do you do if I think the way it was put yesterday might've been, Hey, what if you're, what if you're working with a bunch of people that apparently have zero emotional intelligence? So I don't know if that was part of, of Carly's question or not. Hey, what if you have a certain level of EQ and your client has much less or much more, you know, one way or, or another, but that is a common version of these questions that come up in, in the conversation is what if, what if the other person is maybe, maybe even what if they're not reciprocating? It's a tough but maybe, one. maybe if everybody you work with you think has, has low emotional intelligence, maybe it's you. Yeah, that's a, good one. that's a good point. <laughs> Why does everyone in the world have low emotional intelligence? How come they don't understand what I'm trying to tell them? Right. Why, why is it? Well, I have, a feeling, I have a feeling Catherine's pretty high on the emotional intelligence scale. No, I only got an 82. Just based on her, her responses and the way she's showing up in this conversation. Yeah. Brian says, we don't work with sociopaths. I like that. Don't work with sociopaths. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. If you're in a, yeah. Leave. Here's the thing. Here's what you do. If you're working with a bunch of people that don't have social, you know, emotional intelligence, you got to leave. Now, if you get to the next firm and everyone there is the same way, right. you got to hold up a mirror. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great yeah. point. But yeah, point. I've been thinking about the people's abilities to see red flags or respond to red flags. Really, it mm. all ties back to emotional intelligence. We talk about red flags a lot on context and clarity and yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great point. How do you recognize those? Um, that's very good. And I know we're we're past the hour, so uh, it's we probably are. time that we wrap this conversation up. Although, 
it could keep going for hours and hours and hours. So Enoch, really appreciate you coming and joining us today and, um, and being vulnerable and sharing everything that you've shared. Um, I know that there were a lot of people probably that, um, said, Oh, Enoch Sears is going to be on context and clarity. What the heck? Emotional intelligence. You know, what does that got to do with the, the business of architecture? And so, um, that's one of the reasons that I'm really glad that you came here to have this conversation, because I think it, it's a great indication that we all need this, this conversation and we all need to, uh, somehow develop, uh, that muscle if we're going to be better architects, better professionals, uh, better at our craft, better business people, what, you know, whatever your context is. So, um, thank you very much for coming and having this conversation with us today. I, I appreciate that, Jeff. And you mentioned something about how it, it, it wraps through everything, right? This idea of emotional intelligence, right? So going back to why it's important, the business of architecture, what we do here at Business of Architecture and what I know Entre Architecture is passionate about and just, you know, architects in general, we all want to make a better world. I know it sounds cliche, but as, as an architect, I want to speak to our architects here. As you're looking at the world, the state of the world right now, you have talents, you have abilities to make a big, big impact in the challenges that we face as humanity. And your ability to, there's a great quote that I love. It says, Anything is possible for you. Well, let me flip it back. Anything is impossible. I'm going to screw up the quote here. <laughs> That's all right. I do it all the time. <laughs> yep. Anything is possible for you if you have the ability to enroll other people in the possibility of you having gotten that thing. Wow. Something along those lines. What that means is that you can have anything and have any sort of impact that you want in the world if you have the ability to rally other people to your cause and to help them believe that you've already gotten that thing. Think of the great leaders through history, Martin Luther King, that's what he did, I have a dream, right? Mm -hmm. So what I'd state is, and our, my rallying cry for you architects listening, is that you have incredible skills that are needed right now for a built environment. If you look around at a lot of things being built today, um, they could be better, we all know that. Um, and so the, the key here to having the impact, it's not gonna rely, well, it, I'm, I'm assuming you're a great architect, right? So get your skills up, but that's not going to be the limiting factor. What's going to be the limiting factor is going to be your ability to enroll other people in the vision that you have. And that requires high emotional intelligence. It requires being able to help people see a possibility. So that's why we're talking about this. That's excellent. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. So to everybody out there in the audience, um, lead, lead, connect with people and, um, get them to follow you, get them to come along with your vision. Uh, but you're not, you're not going to be able to do it without a high degree of emotional intelligence, like we've been talking about. So again, Enoch, thank you very much, Catherine. Thank you to everybody out there in emoji land. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Um, I will be back again tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern, same bat time, same bat channel for 
the next edition of Context and Clarity. And tomorrow we revisit our mini series that we've been visiting every week. One day a week, we talk about a digital uh, and or social media platform for architects um, that you could be using, you should be using, maybe you shouldn't be using. And tomorrow we are going to talk about, it's actually one of the most popular social media platforms that we talk about on Context and Clarity. We're going to revisit it again. We're going to talk about Instagram for architects. So join us for that conversation tomorrow. Again, you can check out the Context and Clarity podcast, very short form podcast every morning, early every morning, wherever you consume podcasts. You can join me for a preview of the topic in a coffee talk on Clubhouse at 9 a.m. Eastern. And then we will start this up again tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. So I hope I see you in one or more of those places. And we'll talk about Instagram tomorrow. How do you do it? What is Instagram? Should you be there? How should you be there? Join me tomorrow. Thank you to all of you. I appreciate each and every one of you. Enoch, I appreciate you. Uh, Catherine, I appreciate you. Uh, I didn't call mm-hmm. you Kevin today. And you didn't. Uh, everybody. I appreciate you too, Jeff. <laughs> Thank for the you record. For that. Um, everybody, have a great evening tonight. Take care of yourself. Uh, be well. Be safe. Keep those that are close to you safe and well. And, uh, Take a little bit of time to breathe tonight and come back again tomorrow rejuvenated and ready to do it again. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye, y'all. Carpe diem. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this week's Context and Clarity Live episode. Selfishly, I love these conversations because I get to be the go-between between you and some really incredible guests. To that end, I want to know what you think about today's guest. Message me on the socials. I'm really easy to find. I'm Jeff underscore Eccles everywhere. If you happen to run across a white-haired chiropractor from Austin, Texas, yeah, that's not me. I'm the other Jeff Eccles. Oh, and if you have an idea for a future guest, tell me who it is and why you think they'd be a good guest for one of these conversations. Maybe we can get them on a future episode. Thanks again for listening. I appreciate you, and I'll see you next week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so 
overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.